millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The final edition radio hour is a work of satire intended for people who own books, gentrify neighborhoods, and say they like kale. Please consume responsibly the satire, that is. Hello, I'm Jeff Chrysler. And I'm Tony Hendra. And this is the Final Edition Radio Hour. Tony, congratulations. What? What? Why? Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia has passed away. Oh, I don't think we should dance on his grave. We'll get our shoes dirty. Well, first of all, yes, we should celebrate. And second of all, that's one less grouchy old guy passing judgment on everyone else. Passing judgment and, by the look of him, mucho gas. So now there's an open spot for you. Hardy-ha. I'm not grouchy. No. What are you then, Tony? I'm not a bottom-of-the-barrel bigot masquerading as the judge-learned hand of the far right. This ugly little troll, and I don't mean troll in the dopey internet sense, but in the brother's grim sense of something hideous that lives in the sewage under a bridge, was no towering jurist. Scalia was a legal fundamentalist. His stupid originalism, taking the Constitution literally as written, was no different than the morons who insisted every word of the Bible is the literal truth. He may have been a pretty good insult comic by Scotus standards, but what he actually believed was no different in kind than what the Westboro Church believes, or the Ayatollahs, or for that matter, ISIS. Right. That's not grouchy at all. I'm no worse a grouch than Groucho, I always say. Well, whether you get nominated or not, it does open another deep fissure in this charade of an American political panacea, and that can only be good for us. True, true. We do feast on chaos, hypocrisy, and willfully ignorant evil. A.K.A. Ted Cruz. Rest in pieces, Justice Scalia. In your honor, this is... The, the final, final edition radio, radio hour. Man on the street. Kanye West announced on Twitter that he has fifty-three million dollars in personal debt and is asking all of us for help. The final edition asked the man on the street, "What do you think?" Sorry, I'm late for work. I I don't have five. Leave me alone. Well, maybe I can pick up another shift at Walmart. Fifty-three million dollars? How many taint waxings does this man need? I guess he had to pay fifty-three million dollars in damages when Kim broke the internet. With her enormous ass? Would she sit on it? I liked his music better when he was Conway Twitty. Well, I'm a honky-tonk man. 
Well, maybe if he hadn't dropped the mic so many times. I'm just glad he has a very down-to-earth family to support him at this terrible time. Well, no wonder is he, he's in debt all the legal fees from fucking those little kids and buying the elephant man skeleton. I'm very afraid that he has another Kardashian family on the side. I mean, he can get the whole thing back if he just gets enough scratchers. Yes, Mark Zuckerberg. I, too, would like $53 million. Hey, Mark Zuckerberg. I, too, would like $53 million. You know, Mark, while you got the checkbook out, you know, I, you hooked me up, too. Mark Zuckerberg's not like Santa Claus. He's not gonna just give you what you want. That's not true. Mark Zuckerberg did come down my chimney one time. And your chimney is a euphemism for your ass. It's an awkward share on my timeline, I'll tell you that. And so, finally, we found a Supreme Court justice we could all get behind. Uh, I'm proud to make this nomination. You are about to enter the courtroom of Judge Judith Scheindlin. The people are real. The cases are real. The rulings are final. This is Judge Judy. Coming up next on Supreme Court Justice Judy, he said it was news to him. I couldn't believe when I heard the words, turtle fighting ring in your basement. Only you gotta think of it this way. My basement is like Texas, and President Obama exceeded his powers in trying to shield millions of illegal immigrants from deportation in November 2014. I rest my case. But will his story stand up in the highest court in the land? What the what? This isn't even a real U.S. Court of Appeals Fifth Circuit docket. It's handwritten on the back of a Denny's check. Which makes it look real, I know. But I happen to also know that the 5th District hang at Cracker Barrel. All the drama you love, but now, with the far-reaching consequences on American jurisprudence you crave, Supreme Court Justice Judy. I don't even need to hear it. This is the SOGDI principle. Some other guy done it. It's a chicken massacre. The end. Get ready to revolutionize your lunchtime TV viewing with constitutional interpretation. This... Please. Appellate jurisdiction. Oh, my, Landa, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. And wisecracks. You want an opinion? You're a big, fat liar. That's Supreme Court Justice Judy. I'm ready to make a ruling. When it comes to climate change, do not pee on my leg and tell me it's raining. Nationally syndicated. Find it on a local channel in your area. Oh, baloney. Next case. Welcome back to NBC News. NBC, news your grandma could have told you yesterday, based on that funny feeling in her waters. Now scientists are claiming a stunning discovery in their quest to understand gravity. Gravitational waves observed in two colliding black holes. I'm joined here today by Professor David Wheelheim of NYU to ask the important question. When the Earth gets sucked into a colliding black hole, how are we going to all die? Thank you for being here, Professor. Ah, it's my pleasure. Mm, so tell us, when the Earth gets sucked into a colliding black hole, how are we all going to die? <laughs> well, let me just say, that's extremely unlikely to happen. Yes, but what if the Earth gets sucked into a colliding black hole? How are we all going to die? Well, 
The gravitation gradient would stretch across your body in such a way that the gravity on one part of your body would be greater than at another. So you'd stretch out like human spaghetti before being pulled feet first into an existential void. Sounds very serious. Yes, and that's just if you were to get sucked into one black hole. If you got sucked by two at the same time, probably the spaghetti thing would happen. Then very quickly, your body would become more like、uh, scrambled eggs as each ravenous heart of nothing tried to claim you for itself. Not ideal at all. Absolutely, but luckily, before the boiling, sucking vortex of nothingness pulls you under, intense radiation will burn through your skin, exploding your cells from the inside out as you fry in roaring heat. But it's pretty unlikely to happen, right? Exactly. It would certainly be something we wouldn't take seriously as a very real possibility at all. Okay then. Good. Coming up next, Donald Trump continues his march to the White House. And now the satirical opportunity of a lifetime: Antonin Scalia croaks. What happens next? Our Woody Johnson has the story. Within seconds of his death from a chronically shrunken heart, Nino Scalia's immortal soul was on its way to an its inevitable destination—hell. But he'd hardly passed through the fiery gates when something that has only happened once before happened in the long, getting on for infinite history of the place of fire, brimstone, and torment. A truly wicked soul was not welcomed with open arms. Lucifer, Dark Lord of the Underworld, had no comment, but his Director of Infernal Affairs, Bezelbub, was ready to talk. Bezelbub, just what happened here? Ah, well, we were really, really stoked to be getting Scalia, and when you're stoked in hell, you are hot to trot. I mean, he was this brutish loudmouth, loathed by millions, whose rulings rip parents from their children, encourage gay bashers to drive gays to suicide, and and homicidal lunatics to arm themselves with any weapon they please, up to and including handheld rocket launchers. Wanted women back to being barefoot and pregnant, made a mockery of universal suffrage. And best of all, allowed pornographically wealthy citizens to do what they dreamed of for 250 years: buy the government wholesale, burn it, and turn themselves into the aristocrats of a feudal U.S. And he frames all this corner bar bigotry, hatred, prejudice, and worship of wealth as mandated by the U.S. Constitution. Brilliant. What's not to love about the Danny DeVito of dissenting opinion, a global guru of rapacious greed and, and vicious classism, a, a bona fide star of evil? So what happened? Well, he came through our gates of fire with that voice snarling away. No, 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 no! He wants hell back to its original form. Exactly the way Dante described it. He talks like 
This Italian bozo invented hell! Back to nine circles, no more! Back to pitchforks and bullwhips! Are you kidding? We got 900 circles these days! Trillions of souls! We got the wicked from planets whose life forms look like the first law of thermodynamics mated with phlegm! You can't pitchfork them! That's why we have napalm tasers and, and tactical nuclear suppositories! <laughs> Get this! He only wants white Euro-American souls. Fire all the rest! How can you fire someone in hell? And no gay demons! What? How are you gonna torment the gay wicked if there's no cute red boys wiggling their butts just out of reach for all eternity? Hell's evolved, I tell him. We're proud of our diversity. But he just keeps ranting on about precedent and Dante's nine fucking circles. So what happened? Our eternally damned legal review board, Hammurabi, Judge Jeffries, John Haney, and Mother Teresa. <clears throat> She's on there for diversity. Recommended he be cast forth from hell for all eternity. The spoonful of sugar to help with the medicine go down was that he was being sent down to a lower court. <laughs> Which really tormented him. But, like Mother T said, if he stays, abandon hope all ye who have entered here! So what becomes of Nino Scalia now? <sighs> He's condemned to wander the dark and trackless wastes of space for all eternity. Utterly alone, ignored, unheard, irrelevant and despised. Till time is no more. <laughs> Luck, we'll be back with more of the Final Edition Radio Hour. Put up your pants, we're back! It's the Final Edition Radio Hour! In a city plagued by evil, a dark night rises. I'm Batman. You, you'd know that if you saw me. I'm wearing a half a million dollar bat suit. When he faces his toughest challenge yet. I am Superman. Yes, any idiot can see that. But they must band together to fight. Lex Luthor. I'm a metaphor for adulthood. And General Zod. I will be played by Henry Kissinger. And Ricky Loose Lips LeBlanc. I'm a minor villain who worked for the Penguin. This is my only line. And just when evil is about to triumph, suddenly we see Wonder Woman. Why am I the only one wearing shorts? And Aquaman. Just in case you guys land in the water for some reason, I'll be right over here. And Ultra the Multi-Alien. I'm a combination of four different alien races. 
You know, there are still restaurants in the South that won't serve me. And Wild Dog. Are you wearing your old football jersey? Well, some of us aren't millionaires. And Hyperman. I'm pretty much like Superman. Actually, I'm not sure you guys even need me here. But suddenly, new villains appear. Rainbow Raider. The public rejected my art because I'm colorblind. Seriously? That's your backstory? I will destroy you all. And Tiger Shark. I know a lot about submarines. That's about it. And Gizmo. I'm not sure what my deal is. I've got a lot of weapons. 19 villains, 27 heroes, 83 screenwriters. They all slam together in one big incoherent marketing blitz. If you want to know why Burger King is suddenly giving away three dozen crappy action figures, you must see Batman vs. Superman vs. Batman. This film will make you hate everything. OMG, Haley, are you going to the mall? I don't know. Is James? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Maddie? Yeah. Are you going to college? Uh, probably. Is Steve? Yeah. Then yeah. Hey, Haley? Yeah? Are you going to vote? I'm not sure. Is Kevin? Yeah. Then yeah. Maddie? Yeah. Are you, like, going to vote for Bernie? I don't know. Is Jason? Yeah. Then yeah. Hey, Haley? Yeah? Do you like breathing air? I think so. Yeah. Do you like air? Yeah. <sighs> then yeah. This reenactment of a conversation between millennial girls who aren't choosing Hillary was brought to you by Gloria Steinem's Book and Wine Club for straight, white, female feminists over the age of 50. This is Face the Issues. The death of Justice Antonin Scalia raises profound debates in politics and jurisprudence Scalia was an influential conservative, yet his replacement could be named by a Democratic president facing a hostile Republican Congress in an election year. This issue calls for thought and nuance, so we're going to ask a couple of actors what they think. Joining me now is John Barber, who plays a judge in the movie Disorder in the Court. Off screen, he has driven his car into a tree on at least three occasions. John, good to see you again. (laughs) Thanks, I almost didn't make it. Uh Uh-huh. Also joining us is Marion Splenda, who says there's a conspiracy against hiring Republicans in Hollywood. She's been in nine different sitcoms. Marion, great to have you. I'm just glad for the opportunity. Uh, John, let me start with you. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Scalia's ideological opposite, but also his best friend on the court. She said his dissenting opinions often made the majority opinions stronger. Will the court be weaker without a strict originalist to hold its feet to the fire? Well, I just think people should be able to marry whoever they want. That's not strictly related to the question. You know, back in 2003, I was engaged in a nine-day bacchanal at David Geffen's pool house. It's very difficult to OD on laughing gas, Bob, uh, but I did reach a transformative state in which I saw my spirit animal, a rubber pig attached to a broom handle, and I felt that all things are connected, like all the bodies in that room were connected by fluids and, and duct tape. Love wins, Bob. Love wins. I think I read that story in your bio, and then you tried to drive? Uh Yes, yeah. Marion, a question for you. Uh, Senator Rand Paul made the argument that 
President Obama has a conflict of interest when appointing a Supreme Court justice because the president has his own policies at stake before the high court. Wouldn't that be true of any president? Well, I noticed that as the conservative guest, I'm relegated to the second question. I just think you're mischaracterizing Senator Paul's point. There's nothing wrong with the president choosing a Supreme Court justice, but is Obama really the president? Yes. Is he? Yes. But how can you be president when you take away guns and ignore the Second Amendment? Obama hasn't taken your guns away. Yes, he has. Do you have guns? Yes, that's my right as an American. Then he hasn't taken them away. That's not the point. What is the point? White people are the victims, Bob. Last question for both of you. When you try to imagine a well-balanced court that allows stability and growth, who do you think should replace Justice Scalia? Take some time to Ronald Ray. Bono. This has been Face the Issues. Tomorrow we'll talk to a couple more actors about NATO. The possible nomination of Donald J. Trump can be a very confusing time for children, especially for those of Muslim, Hispanic, or Democratic descent. So we here at The Final Edition have put together some tips for how to speak to your child about what this means for their futures. First off, prepare for what they might ask you. Certain possible questions include... Bobby... Why is the presidential nominee saying pussy? Or... Daddy, what does pussy mean? Or... Mommy, if he says pussy, can I say pussy too? Or... Daddy, does this mean America will only be made up of white people? Or... Mommy, is that the man who killed Justice Scalia? Or... Daddy, is it legal for the first lady to be a mail-order bride? Unfortunately, we don't have answers to any of these specific questions, but what we can do is tell you that you should prepare for them. You should also remind your child that you love them, and while it's not their fault that the country will turn to shit, it will inevitably be their responsibility. Be patient while they absorb the reality of their future. Expect reactions, including... Assuage their concerns by telling them about all the other countries that also have terrible leaders, such as Russia, Syria, and North Korea. And finally, reassure them that no matter how bad it might be under Donald Trump, it would be that much worse under Ted Cruz. Welcome back to What's the Fed Gonna Do? The stock market report that looks at the only financial metric we care about on Wall Street. We try to predict what the Federal Reserve is about to do, then base our stock market advice on that completely. 
Our correspondent, Terry Bartlett, what's your take? Well, 250,000 jobs were added to the economy last month, and that's a pretty strong number. So I think the Fed's going to look at that and say the economy is fully recovered. And that's good? No, it's bad. Oh, right. Good is bad. I, I always screw that up. If the Fed thinks the economy is recovered, they're finally going to raise lending rates above zero. The stock market will die. If the economy recovers, the economy crashes. So what's your advice? Sell every stock you have, change your name, move out of the country, get on a rowboat with a shotgun and 30 gallons of gas, row the boat into the ocean and rig it up so the gas blows up when you shoot yourself in the head. So leave no trace. None. Our senior analyst, Bob Marks, your take? Well, consumer confidence is still down and that's bad. So it's good. Correct. Consumer confidence is down, so the Fed will think that the economy is bad, so they won't raise lending rates. What's your advice? Take every dime you have, uh-huh. mortgage your house, steal from your company. Yeah. You'll pay them back before they see it. All right. Take money from drunks and people who are smaller than you. They don't know what to do with the money. You're going to spend it better. Right. Take everything you got. Go to the stock market. Invest it. Every single dollar okay. in a small startup company called k They make dog collars. It's like Google Car for dogs. Excellent advice, as always, from the both of you. That's all for now on What's the Fed Going to Do? We'll be back at the top of the hour. Welcome to the Terry Garber Show. She's sassy. She's savvy. She might kill herself at any moment. So we better make her feel good. Come on, everybody. Here's Terry. everybody do you like my hair oh i'm so glad well 41 years ago today barry manilow's song mandy became a number one hit can you believe it was 41 years ago tell me you can't believe it we talk a lot about landmarks because landmarks mark land but that song really marks land I have a knife in my dressing room, and I know how it tastes! Applause! Okay, Mr. Announcer, forgot my first guess. Thanks, Terry. You and I have worked together for five years, and you still don't know my name. Well, our first guest is the sexiest sportscaster in Fox. He's amazing. He's fascinating. He might kill somebody at any moment. Please welcome Don Fortier. Terry, you look amazing. No, I look like garbage. So you've been following this amazing story about the Jets football player, Antonio Cromarty. He's about to have his 12th child. Isn't that bizarre? Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. He better get his head in the game. Daddy, look at me. What? What? Are you making fun of me? So you're a fan of the Oscars. Who do you think is best actress? If Kate Blanchett doesn't win, some things are going to have to happen to some people. We've got to go to commercial. Don, you're going to stick around, right? You're not going to leave, right? I will never leave. Don't go away. Something bad's probably going to happen soon, right after the break. They don't like it when I roll my R's. Here if I do it more. Next on, the final edition. Okay, I think you should do all of this. What? I, I, I'm just... I don't, you don't I improvise, are you telling me? No, I can't improvise this. There's not enough substance to get my teeth into it. 
After these messages, the final edition radio hour will go to Pi Squared. We will be right back after this. <laughs> yeah, do something French. Imagine drinking wine. Just did. We'll be back to discuss on the final edition radio hour. Okay, these are incomprehensible. That's enough. We'll be back soon with more of the final edition Radio Hour! Hey, welcome back to the final edition Radio Hour. I'm Tony Hendra. This week in our World of Comedy segment, I'd like to play you a story I told at the Moth about my early years as a comedian. The theme of the Moth that night was Going South, which we took in every sense of the term, as you will hear, and it was recorded in the summer of 2007, back when Bush II was busily keeping us safe from the worst recession in living memory. So let's hear it for Tony Hendra, tonight's curator. Good evening. Um, before I get started, I just want to apologize to all, um, all the Southerners in the room, uh, because at some point during this story, I am, uh, I'm actually going to attempt to do a Texas accent. Uh, so forgive me if it doesn't ring, you know, ring quite true. Anyway, um, the year is 1964. It's April, and um, I am 20 years old. I am half of a comedy team called Tony Hendra and Nick Ullett. We have been in America for about a week, and it's our first time. Now, about two months before this, the Beatles had been on Ed Sullivan and had become an overnight worldwide sensation. And at about roughly the same time, um, a guy called Bob Chartoff, who was a very well-known uh, manager of comedy acts, um, came across us in, in, in a nightclub in London and told us that if we would come to New York, he would make us the Beatles of comedy. <laughs> I've always wanted to come to America. Now I'm going to be a superstar, too. Um, so the very first night we're, we're in New York, Bob whisks us downtown to a place called The Bitter End, where there is a hootenanny. Now... If you don't know what a hootenanny is, it's a kind of Neolithic ancestor of American Idol. <laughs> Except it's in a nightclub and it's for folk singers and comedians. Now, for sort of unexplained reasons, uh, we, our very short set brings the house down. We're a hit. We're hot in New York. In about two hours, we get six months of work right there in the bitter end. We haven't been in this country for 24 hours and already we're well on our way to becoming the Beatles of comedy. Only in America. Um, now, the first booking we have is even more amazing. We're opening for Lenny Bruce, the legendary Lenny Bruce. And uh, he is just our total idol. He is our comedy god. We open for him, and then we sit on the edge of the stage for every set, lapping up every word. And then three weeks into the gig, three, sorry, three days into the gig, um, four NYPD cops walk up on stage in the middle of his act and bust him as far as we can tell, for being incredibly funny. <laughs> now, this uh, obviously is a disaster for Lenny, but it's also a disaster for us because um, the, 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 this is big news and all the press reports dutifully note that opening for Mr. Leonard Bruce was a new comedy team from England called Hendra and Ullett. So overnight, our six months of work disappears. Yesterday, we were on the brink of superstardom. Now, we're on the brink of ruin. Only in America, right? So, um, anyway, uh, there is another wrinkle to this, too, which is that, um, and it's a very dangerous wrinkle, it's called the Immigration and Naturalization Service. <laughs> we are aliens. 
and we uh, are on very temporary visas, and we can be deported for almost anything. Um, having sex out of wedlock, double parking in Midtown, um, you know, even thinking about drugs. And, of course, the, the, the really big crime, which is unemployment. We have got to stay in work and out of trouble. And um, Bob says, uh, if, uh, if, if we don't, it's back to Blighty and forget about the Beatles of comedy. So uh, he also says that we've got to get a job out of town, way out of town. And, um, and as it happens, William Morris, our agency, uh, has just had a booking fall through, and they want to rebook it. Um, and um, he's a little evasive about where this is, but eventually um, we get it out of him. It's in Texas. Now... I must remind you that this is early 1964. So we say, wasn't JFK just assassinated in Texas? Um, in that place called Dallas? Yeah, so what, says Bob. Well, isn't it rather dangerous down there, you know, all this civil rights stuff? Bob says, no, only if you're black or Jewish. We're neither of these things. So we say, okay, where exactly is it? Dallas. So we're driving into Dallas from Love Field Airport. An airport named Love, only in Dallas. And um, our cab driver is this uh, kind of cowpoke type who has uh, a very small head and, uh, and a very small Stetson, which is actually too small for his very small head. And according to his license, uh, this character is named Earl. Just Earl, no last name. And we will discover that there are many people in Dallas called Earl. And many of those who are not called Earl are called Duke. And there are also a lot of Leroy's, which we immediately figure out is actually French for the king. There seems to be this kind of suppressed yearning in Dallas for royalty. <laughs> anyway, um, just, to, uh, just, just to sort of make conversation, I, I, I ask Earl... Um, what, you know, well, how do people here feel now, you know, about the assassination? And Earl says, well, we're all real sorry it had to happen here. But we're happy as hell that some bitch is dead. <laughs> Yikes. This, to, to put it mildly, is a new sentiment to us. But Earl is not finished. He says, you boys are from England, right? Uh, yes, possibly. <laughs> It's, and he leans over the car seat and he says, What y'all do over there about your nigra problem? Holy Christ. I mean, you know, who knows what's going to happen if we answer this question incorrectly. Uh, so I keep it light. I say, oh, you know, we shoot them, chop them up, uh, grill them and eat them. <laughs> and Earl has no reaction to this. He just nods thoughtfully like, that's one solution. <laughs> now, in, this, uh, in Dallas, uh, city of fear... Um, there, there, is a, there is a place called the Adolphus Hotel. And if you're thinking to yourself that Adolphus sounds like a fancy way of spelling Adolf, you're quite right. And in the Adolph Hotel, uh, in the basement, is a very exclusive private club, the most exclusive one in Dallas, uh, which appropriately enough for all the earls and dukes is called the King's Club. And it is in this place that we are going to perform. Um, we are very late, so we change quickly in the hotel and hurry down to the basement to the King's Club where we meet Charlie, the owner. And Charlie is a man of few words. He says um, we ex we, we, that we're expected to do about 40 minutes and uh, we're on in five. Now we're beginning to get not a little 
nervous, okay? We're, 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 after all, there's Earl, there's JFK, the background of that. We're in a hotel named after Hitler. And, and worst of all, we have about 15 minutes of material. 20 with laughs. So we're going to have to, we're going to, have to stretch... And as you probably understand, comedy material that is stretched is not necessarily any funnier. So we decide to fill in with Beatles songs. <laughs> and now, now it's showtime. Uh, Charlie shows us the stage, which is actually kind of cute. Uh, it has a theatrical theme, a little apron stage and little footlights and a little proscenium arch and a little drop curtain, which is closed, from beyond which we can hear sounds of happy laughter. And uh, so we part the curtains and look out, and this, this is what we see. The place is packed. There are maybe three or 400 people in the club. And uh, on almost every table, there are a couple of very tacky-looking brown paper bags. And on every table, there are three or four extremely large handguns. <laughs> we rip the curtain shut. We turn to Charlie, what's, what's, what's with the tables? He says, well, uh, Dallas is a dry town. If you bring liquor into the club, it's got to be in a brown paper bag. We say, no, 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 no. The guns. What about the guns? He said, oh, oh, the guns. Well, uh, the liquor's got to be concealed, but uh, if you have a hot firearm, it has to be displayed. <laughs> Christ. Do they ever fire them? Oh, sure. Oh, sure. Yeah, so a couple months back, there was a Jew fella here told a, told a joke about the Ku Klux Klan. And he points out these bullet holes in the proscenium arch. Now, what are we going to do? Do we quit? Do we go back to Love Field in New York? We'll never get another job. We'll be deported. On the other hand, we can go on and, in every sense, die. <laughs> this decision is taken out of our hands because the band is now playing us on. Uh, it's happy days are here again, which is exactly how we feel. And uh, there we are, the eyes of Texas are upon us, and we're going to do our twittering British satire to a heavily armed audience. <laughs> now, we have picked our best piece, our absolutely surefire piece, uh, which involves the Queen. We figure that maybe this will appeal to that suppressed hankering for royalty. Um, and the nature of the piece is, is it's very sort of British dry, deadpan kind of piece, in which two BBC announcers are commenting on uh, a royal pageant in the River Thames, which is centred around the Queen's royal barge. And rather than going into the piece, I will just give you the key line, which goes like this. And now, as Her Majesty and Queen Philip sail majestically down the River Thames, the royal barge appears to be very slowly sinking. Now, this, in, in London, this piece kills. It's enormous. In New York, even, it's guaranteed boffo, right? In Dallas, it's the silence of the grave. It's a cemetery out there. The audience is an oil painting, a meadow at dusk. We are a... We are a two-man Hiroshima. And suddenly, from out of the deafening silence, comes a voice. Hey, Earl... We got us a couple of queers up here. Another voice. Uh, sure do, Duke. Reckon they sit down to pee? Earl, they're peeing right now. Big laugh. Enormous laugh. The only laugh so far in the show. And it's from an audience member. 
Now, at this point, um, I am frozen with fear, totally. But my partner, God bless him, has an amazing amount of presence of mind, and he picks up his guitar, and he says in his best English accent, you know, the funny thing is, we are queer. So why don't we stop pretending we're not and tell you some queer jokes? And after that, we'll sing you some queer songs. Wild applause. This is what they've come to hear. Queer Brits telling queer jokes. So we immediately improvise a show which is queer joke, queer song, queer joke, queer song. I won't go into exactly what the queer jokes are, simply to say that they, they were absolutely the worst kind of lowest musical queer jokes. And we tell the first one of these, and the place goes nuts. Tony Lama boots are being stomped on the floor. Bourbon bottles are being pounded on the tables. We're an absolute smash hit. And then Nick continues on this streak of genius. He goes into the most famous song in the world at that moment, which is the Beatles' I Want to Hold Your Hand. (laughs) Except he substitutes the word gland for hand. So here we are singing, I want to hold your gland. I want to hold your gland. And the place goes nuts. Absolutely nuts. They're ripping up the carpets. They just love it. They want encore after encore. And, um, and, and before long, we have all of the oil royalty of Dallas singing along, I want to hold your gland. Yee-hoo. You know? Uh, and it turns out, as, as, the, as the show went on, that actually a lot of early Beatles songs, um, if they're sung suggestively enough uh, by two men, uh, could be described as queer. Um, I want to be your man. This boy wants you back again. And, of course, the ever-popular, um, you, you, you've, got, you've really got a hold on me. That one really went down very, very well. Anyway, we came off about an hour later. We were an enormous hit, and um, it was certainly the lowest point of my brief comedy career and easily the most successful. Uh, Charlie held us over for an extra two weeks, and for the next month, we were the toast of Dallas. And so you could say that um, for one brief shining moment... Almost 45 years ago, in the dear old South, we were the Beatles of comedy. Thank you. The Final Edition Radio Hour will be right back. I'm Tony Hendro. And I'm Jeff Chrysler. And we want to talk to you about the hardcore satire we do on the Final Edition Radio Hour. It's not just satire, Tony. It's parody, ridicule, caricature, lampoon, burlesque, banter, mockery, spoofs. Oh, I guess, and it's also pastiche, pasquinade, with some persiflage and raillery thrown in. The Final Edition is a big tent, Tony. We do satire. Satire hurts. All that other stuff just tickles. Jonathan Swift once said a little satire goes a long way. No, he didn't. That was Aristophanes. Actually, it was David Brooks. We do satire because satire can bring down empires. Oh, right, like Colbert's satire of Bush at the White House Correspondence Center ended the war in Iraq. You're just being a bitch, man. What we do on the Final Edition Radio Hour is make the good people laugh any which way. Do you disagree, Tony? No, I guess not. Okay, so listen to... The The Final Final Edition Radio Hour. We at the Final Edition Radio Hour have our own YouTube video channel now. So for the enjoyment of our listeners, we're going to show some of our videos right here on the radio. Here we go. Wait, what, what is that? Oh, 
that's not one of our final edition videos. That's something else. But but what was that? It was a it was a different video. Was that meat? It was lamb. The video is from Kazakhstan. Here, here's a final edition video. Nah, it's the same thing. What are they what are they doing to that guy? Nothing. Okay, here's a video from the final edition radio hour. Your baby is the most important person in your life. So ah, the pre-K jeweler that. sketch. With diamonds. Yeah, it makes a pretty good At video. Jewelers, yeah. We offer a fine selection so, of in that other video, that one guy's dead now, right? I mean, that was real. Search for the final edition on YouTube or go to youtube.com slash user slash the final edition one. And just watch the funny videos. There are some others. Don't worry about those. Trans-Pacific Partnership has been signed, and now each country must decide whether to ratify it. The final edition asks the man on the street, what do you think? I wish you'd pass the TPP. I gotta take a shit. I wouldn't use the TPP to wipe my ass with it. I'm down with TPP. Get out with OPP. I believe the Navajos used to live in uh, Hogan's. I'm holding out for the Trans-Pacific Partnership. I never pay attention to any kind of agreements or contracts or partnerships. That's why I'm $90,000 in debt. You know, there are a lot of trans in the Pacific, especially Vietnam. You like this, you sign. You sign now. Do we get Lucy Liu in this trade? Last time we signed a partnership with Vietnam, it didn't go so well. Well, if this makes the corporations happy, more power to them, I guess. <laughs> hmm. And now, as an extra added bonus, and because we'll never be able to run them again, a couple of fine Scalia pieces from our SCOTUS archive. Welcome to the Supremes, the final edition radio hour's look at the highest court in the land. Joining me are three Supreme Court justices, Clarence Thomas, Antonin Scalia, and Elena Kagan. All eyes are on you and your colleagues as you hear arguments for and against gay marriage. Where do you stand on this issue, Justice Kagan? No brainer. I'm in favor of it. Justice Thomas? I don't know. I might be in favor. I might not be. And Justice Scalia? Well, I'm an asshole. Fair enough. Justices, 40 states currently don't allow same-sex marriage. But 49% of the American people say they support it. Is this an idea whose time has come? I believe that marriage is only legal between one asshole and another asshole. Hmm. I think one partner can be an asshole, but the other can be an assistant in his office. Can you believe I have to rule on constitutional law with these dipshits? I'm not a dipshit. I'm an asshole. You're in a position to give millions of people freedom they've never had. To become full members of society, to become part of the American dream. How does that make you feel? Same-sex couples contribute to society the same as anyone else and should get the same benefits and social standing. Gay marriage doesn't threaten straight marriage. Well, let's say I was married to a gay woman and I went up to her and said... Who put a pubic hair in my Coke? 
It might not go over as well as it did with a straight woman. Uh, Justice Thomas, you can't marry a gay woman. I'm saying hypothetically. I know I'm already married to a woman who violates ethics. Justice Thomas, a straight man can't marry a gay woman. Isn't that what we're trying to decide? Look, I'm an asshole. He's the dipshit. Same-sex marriage is legal in Connecticut, Iowa, Maine, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, New York, Vermont, Washington, and the District of Columbia. Will you be looking at the experience of those states? There are also state laws against masturbation, adultery, fornication, prostitution, and obscenity. Uh, what does that have to do with anything? I don't know. It sounds good. What, are you the only one who can list things? He's an asshole. Finally, we agree on something! Justice Kagan, who put a pubic hair on my coke? He does this every day. See, I don't think it would work as good if she were gay. Uh, how do you geniuses ever get around to judicial review? We have a chief justice! My wife takes money from the Heritage Foundation. I wait for them to fall asleep. From all of us at the Final Edition Radio Hour, stay constitutional. The Supreme Court today declared Section 4 of the Voting Rights Act unconstitutional, thus setting the stage for many states to increase their attempts to limit the voting rights of minorities. Justices Clarence Thomas and Antonin Scalia gave an unusual interview outlining a novel reason for their decision. The crucial issue here is just what voting rights do people of color like myself have. Article 1, Section 2, Paragraph 3 of the U.S. Constitution, which designated slaves and their descendants as three-fifths of a person for purposes of representation and taxation, stands, despite the 13th and 14th Amendments abolishing slavery and establishing equal protection. We got no evidence that abolition or equal protection would have changed the framers' minds about the three-fifths clause? The Constitution doesn't change or evolve. Evolution's a myth. That's why we outlawed it last week. Our founding document says in plain English, slaves and their descendants, and I'm proud to count myself among them, are entitled to only three-fifths the representation of other citizens. Id est... I only get three-fifths of a vote, whether it's on this court or at the polling booth. Scotus watchers were stunned by the justice's opinion. Radcliffe Professor Emeritus of Law, Chase D. Ambulancia. I am stunned. Everyone I know is stunned. The entire community of Supreme Court observers, analysts, historians, and bodyguards is stunned. Even Justice Thomas's one law clerk is stunned. In his 20 years on the bench, this is the most words he's ever uttered at one time. Fox News legal beagle, Greta Van Susteren. I see this as a huge problem for the Democrats. Applying this to any future elections means they'll need five, count them, five African-Americans to cast every three votes. 
Do the math. That means 1.65 African-Americans to cast one vote. Where are you going to get 1.65 of an African-American? Not going to happen. And getting five African-Americans to do anything together is like trying to lasso Jell-O. The black vote is history. Governor Rick Perry of Texas, speaking at a fundraiser for the Koch Brothers' multi-billion dollar new political action committee, Coke Sixpack, also saw a political upside. (laughs) This ruling legally recognizes the dedication of Republicans in Texas and many other fine states to limit the black vote in the last three presidential elections by any means necessary. Reduce physical intimidation, undercounting, burning ballots, absurd registration requirements, tampering with voting machines, and banning early voting. Because that's what our great constitution demands. Cut these people down to their constitutional size. Three-fifths of us normal people. Also at Coke Six-Pack, Fox News host Bill O'Reilly. Let me tell you, this ruling certainly applies to Barack Obama. Certainly no more than three-fifths of a president. Maybe two-fifths. Hey, don't get me started on Al Sharpton. One-fifth, anyone? Critics on the left see in the rationale of Justices Scalia and Thomas a transparent attempt to completely undermine the Voting Rights Act which Scalia vehemently opposes. Scalia defended himself on hardball. Justice Scalia, many say your views on the Voting Rights Act are thinly disguised judicial racism. If I'm so racist, so is the Constitution. It clearly states blacks got only three-fifths the rights we do. And that you think you're immune to criticism about that racism because you're so close to Justice Thomas. Hey, Paisan, I can take care of myself, okay? I don't need no help from no mooley. But it is true, Clarence is very, very close to me. In fact, he lives in my ass. Are you likening a fellow justice to a hemorrhoid? Yeah, but one of them good hemorrhoids, you know, to kind of switch around on and they itch just enough to feel nice and quiet down, you know? Hey, that make you feel uncomfortable? That's putting it mildly! That's my job on this court, you see, making pussy liberals squirm. Look, I concur with my learned hemorrhoid's opinion, and I commend him for his selflessness in standing by his judicial conscience. This brilliant ruling underlines that all racial entitlements are flagrant attempts to add two-fifths back to the three-fifths clause in criminal disregard of the framers' wishes. You whiners hope the court's gonna uphold the Voting Rights Act? Forget about it. Four and three-fifths votes still crushes four. Of course, the three-fifths clause applies to taxation as well as representation. Justice Thomas, aside from limiting their political representation, doesn't your ruling also limit the tax obligation of African Americans to three-fifths the normal rate? Uh-huh. Is that why you haven't paid more than 700000 in back taxes? Hmm. Let's see. No, that never crossed my mind. Oh, come on, Your Honor. That's hard to believe. My word is law, Jimbo. You don't like it? Sue me! Baby, 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 leave me.
Thanks for listening to the Final Edition Radio Hour. The voices of the Final Edition are performed by Bruce Cherry, Jen Dodd, Jim Earl, Rob Gordon, Tony Hendra, Jeff Hendrick, Dan Vitale, Jeff Chrysler, Barry Lank, John Marshall, Abby Parker, Rachel Rauch, Steve Rosenfield, James Mount, Rob Miller, Leah Krinsky, Kayla Merrill, Andrew Danish, Leslie Shapira, and Tuchel, and Darby Worley. And Jessica Park. Stop forgetting Jessica Park. Come on. Credit to our writers at the Final Edition Radio Hour. Bruce Cherry, Jim Dodd, Jim Earl, Rob Gordon, Tony Hindra, Jeff Hendrick, Abby Parker, Jeff Chrysler, John Marshall, Barry Lank, Leslie Shapira, Kurt Weitzman, Leah Krinsky, Kate Knowles, Jeremy Rayburn, and Steve Rosenfield. And Jessica Park. What in the... The Final Edition is produced and directed by Tony Hendra and Jeff Chrysler. West Coast production by Barry Lank. Audio edited and engineered by Greg Russ and Andrew Hammond. The Final Edition Radio Hour is the property of the Final Edition LLC. Copyright 2015. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.